In this week's show, our guest is Neil Walters. He's a search engine marketing consultant in Irving, Texas, serving both in local and nationwide clients. He has uh, worked for IrvingSEOExpert.com and has, uh, as an online marketer, Neil has done that kind of work. He's been selling software and he's also involved with BizTalk and one of his uh, latest endeavors is investing in Bitcoin. Can you tell us uh, more about that? Like, how do you even get involved with Bitcoin? And then if you can give us a a brief introduction to that. Okay. Hi, David. It's great to be on your show. You've Sounds like you got some really good stuff going on here. It's kind of exciting. Basically, um, I think a lot of people heard about Bitcoin, but I think actually only 3% of the people have. I just talked to a guy on the phone today, and he'd never even heard of it. He's like, what's that? I guess people of us, those of us who are in the technical field, must know about it before the rest of the world. Dallas, they have they have a, a group online called Meetup. A lot of you may have been to that, and there's different groups that meet around Dallas. And so in 2014, I went to the Dallas Meetup, and they were having a meeting in uh, Deep Ellum part of Dallas at a restaurant that had a Bitcoin ATM. Similar to an automatic teller machine at your bank, you could basically put money in and then get your Bitcoin out. But it's not a physical coin. It's they transfer it to you digitally. And so you have an app on your phone or there's other ways you can store it. But at that time, I had an app on my phone that I just installed and my $20 of cash came back to me as so many Bitcoins or points of fractions of a Bitcoin. But again, uh, what is Bitcoin? Because um, when people... uh bring it up like there was a a report where they were talking about how it's fluctuating and i guess the introduction to bitcoin would be does anyone even know uh who created it in a documentary that i saw on your website it said that it was kind of mysterious how it came about okay yeah so let's go back to what it is first of all so basically it's like kind of like a digital cash and people can transfer funds to one another kind of like paypal but the difference is you don't have a what they call a, a trusted third party. So when I send, if I were to send money to you on PayPal, I would have to trust that PayPal. Well, first of all, how would I get my money to PayPal? They have access to my bank account, right? And so I have to trust PayPal to some extent. If I send you a check, I have to trust my bank. So there's always this issue of trust involved. And the Bitcoin it runs on peer to peer. Some of you may remember years ago there was a, um, a music file sharing system called Napster. People were sharing music all over the internet before it, you know, internet really, really took off like it has today. And that's called peer-to-peer connections. So the Bitcoin runs on what's called a blockchain, and that blockchain is stored on probably tens of thousands of computers around the world. And it's like a, a ledger file or a, an account balance of everybody's balance on Bitcoin, how many coins they have. It all works based on cryptography, like you have a secret key that you use to access your account. And later we could talk about the downsides, but one of the, the things about it is you have to keep your, your key secret. And, and that's one of the weaknesses, I guess you could say, of the system. Everybody talks about this guy named uh, Satoshi Nakamoto. And most everybody says it's a pseudonym. It's not his real name. And it, he could be a him or a her or that, them. Or, or it could, some people even say it was the CIA that created it. Maybe, they're, maybe they created Bitcoin to save our economy. We don't know. It was basically kind of this genius system to run this software. And it started out where this supposed guy named Satoshi, he mined his first coins. We can talk about mining later if you want. There's a story about some guy who, who bought a pizza with Bitcoins and he paid like 10 or 20 Bitcoins for it. And that was one of the first big sales. And today a Bitcoin you know, is like four or $5,000. <laughs> 
it begs the question that if if we don't know the origin of it, how do we know that it's reliable? Well, there's a thing on software called open source, and a lot of companies are going with open source software these days. So you can actually download the source code of Bitcoin and look at it, or you can actually clone it, or what they call fork it, and you can run it on your own computer, or you can start your own Bitcoin. And so... There have been hundreds or thousands of programmers who have actually gone through this code and tested it and found that it's reliable. And so that's that's half of your question. And the other half is, it gets back to this idea of trust. So if I don't want to trust PayPal or a bank, who do I trust? Well, who runs Bitcoin? It's these thousands and thousands of computers around the world. And if one of them went bad then that, the blockchain on that one computer would be different than the blockchains on all the other computers. So somehow the computers would reject that guy as being a, a bad guy. And they do sometimes talk about something called a 51% attack. So if like half of the people running Bitcoin were to all go bad, then they could you know, basically take the Bitcoin and run with it and do what they wanted to. But it's distributed by so many thousands of people around the world that it's unlikely that that could ever happen. Is there any way to corrupt it to the point of um, like putting in a virus or losing all your money somehow? You know, you never really know, right? But let's talk about the losing your money thing. So I had a friend the other day that he went to buy his first uh, Bitcoin and another one called Ethereum. I got online with him and I was showing him how to do it, but I, I kept emphasizing to him over and over, these are your keys and you have to save your keys and you don't have to, you make sure that no one else sees your keys and so these keys are like a 40 digit number the question is where do you save your keys so if you save your keys on your computer what if your computer gets hacked so i think it's more likely that you will get hacked than bitcoin will get hacked so if you save your key on your own hard drive and someone breaks steals your notebook for instance or if they hack into your computer they can get your key and then they can go basically suck out your bitcoins and send it to themselves well, when i was watching the documentary about Bitcoin, the one thing that kept on coming to mind is what if there's a power outage? What if you don't have access to a computer? What if you're in a third world country where computers are not even a thing that they use? Would you be able to retrieve your money somehow? Well, first of all, let's hope we all don't all lose power because that's going to kill the whole economy, right? It's interesting. A lot of the third world people now, their first use of the internet is through cell phones. They may not have computers like us, but a lot of people like are sending money back to their family in India. And in the past, they would go to these, I don't know, these local businesses and they might charge them 10%. To, if they wanted to send a $1,000 back home they give this local guy like a thousand and he would somehow wire 900 to the parents and with bitcoin the transaction there's a transaction fee but it would probably be more like 30 cents or less to send a thousand dollars the mom and dad in india had a, a cell phone that's all they would need basically now they would have to somehow cash it out if they want to turn it into rupees or whatever their local currency is and that might be challenging for like an older couple and does it fluctuate depending on the country? Because, um, you know, they were talking about how uh, the U.S. dollar has become the currency of, of a lot of different parts of the world. I know in Mexico, politicians and uh, criminals, they rather have their money in, in dollars than pesos. So how, how does it relate to the regular uh, financial market? Um, just real first, I'm going to introduce another concept. I just started reading a book yesterday on the train called Currency Wars. And uh, they actually did a simulation in Washington, D.C. To, 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 to see what would happen. This is like about eight, seven, eight years ago that wars now are not always just fought on the ground and with bombs, but they're fought with economics and currency. So they did a simulation with like the 
joint chiefs of staff and all that kind of thing. And uh, anyway, I can't, I can't explain it very well, but it's a fascinating book called Currency Wars. But so back to your question, you're asking about the fluctuation of what Bitcoin to local currencies? Yes. Uh, so if you send a thousand Bitcoins and peso goes down, so then you get the equivalent of what? Like it's compared to the US dollar or like what is it compared to? You know, I've only dealt with U.S. dollars, so I, since I don't live in any other countries, I've never turned Bitcoin into anything else. Um, however, Bitcoin itself goes up and down. They call it very volatile. And so, like, it's actually possible that by the time you sent $1,000 to India, I mean, the, the, the transportation time, by the way, it, it's not quite instant. It might be one minute to two minutes, or, or even sometimes I've heard there's been delays of 20, 30 minutes. But most of the time, these things go pretty fast. And... And I've also heard that sending money the old-fashioned way through the bank can take like four days. So the question is, if it gets there and then they immediately try to cash it out into whatever their currency is, Bitcoin could have gone up or down in that 10, 15 minutes. And so there's a possibility to both gain and to lose by doing that. But again, I don't know that much about these other foreign currencies. So do you keep up with what's going on with Bitcoin? And is Bitcoin, I don't know much about the stock exchange, but are people buying shares of Bitcoin or do you just buy it coins? Like, is there different ways to get involved and invest in this type of new currency? Okay, yes. Uh, well, first of all, let's take Bitcoin. It's the, the granddaddy or the mother of them all. Like when we say, uh, give me a Kleenex, right? That's a, a brand name, actually. You should say, give me a tissue, right? So Bitcoin is is like the word Kleenex and alt, and cryptocurrency or altcoins are like the word tissue. So Bitcoin is not the only coin out there. They're actually, or, or cryptocurrency, they're actually probably a thousand of them already. And so um, one good website is is, uh, I think it's coin.marketcap.com, and you can actually see what the market cap is of all these. So Bitcoin is the biggest. Let me just look up real quick. I had that number the other day. Uh, as of a couple of days ago, Bitcoin had a market cap of $67 billion. And what that means is the number of Bitcoins out there times the current price of the Bitcoin. And, and that's a very small number when you consider like uh, Apple, one of the biggest companies in the U.S., has a market cap of $749 billion. So Apple has like, let's see, at least 10, 12, 15 times more than Bitcoin does in total. So there's more stock in Apple than there is Bitcoins out there. But I think Bitcoin is growing and its price will continue to go up. So Bitcoin, you know, it really wasn't made to be an investment per se, but people speculate with it. And a lot of people are always asking, is Bitcoin a bubble? And because anything that goes from like, you know, it used to be under a dollar, right, years ago, uh, they say if you would have bought whatever, 100 Bitcoins, you know, they say that with Microsoft and everything else, right? If you bought 100 Bitcoins back in 2011 or something, you'd be like 100 billionaire today because it's gone up over a thousand times. I just lost track, though, again, what I was going to say. Well, we compare it to other stock or... Oh, other coins. Okay, so there's a thing now called uh, ICOs. So, like in the past, when a company goes public, they do an IPO, which is an initial public offering of stock. And that's been happening, of course, for dozens of years. And, you you know, the normal investor then buys a share in the company, and then, he, again, he has to trade it. And it's speculative, too, what people think it's going to be worth. But what's happening in the last year is a lot of companies are not issuing stock. They're issuing these coins. So I could actually go online and create the Neil coin or the Mystic and the Skeptic coin, and you could have it up and running within a day or something like that. And then you could actually sell your these coins. You could say, okay, I'm going to print only 10,000 of them, and then you could start selling them. And based on 
who do you think would buy them? They might pay 10 cents for them. They might pay a dollar for them. And then they hold them in these uh, digital wallets. And then it would be speculative as to what it's worth. But in some cases, they, these coins can actually represent ownership of a company. Uh, one example I'm, I've invested in is called uh, EMV, Entertainment Movie Venture. And it's out of uh, Sweden, Switzerland, I think. And they're actually creating a full a motion picture movie based on the money they collected from their coin sales. So they raised like $250 million or something like that. And they're producing a movie that will be out in theaters in early next year. And then the people who own these coins will actually get to vote on what the next movie is and share a profit in the first movie. So that's a cool example of, of what, how people were investing other than the speculation aspect of it. So tell us about blockchain and how does that work? Okay, so that's kind of what makes all these different cryptos work. The blockchain is basically like a distributed ledger. It's like an accounting ledger, just like when you do a checkbook and you write down, I wrote a check for $100 here and I paid my utility bill here. Every transaction you record in there is your ledger, right? But with Bitcoin, that ledger is stored on computers, obviously, and not just one computer, but as I was saying before, it's distributed on thousands of computers. That's what gives you that ability to have the, the, the not have to deal with trust so much. It's uh, There's no intermediate parties to deal with. And the other thing about it is there's a question a lot of people have and, and misconceptions as to whether Bitcoin is anonymous or not. So what they do is they, when you sign up with Bitcoin, they generate, using a cryptographic method, they create a wallet ID for you. And that wallet ID is guaranteed to be unique, like nobody else in the world would ever have that same number. And that's your ID then. In the blockchain then, your transactions are stored you know, based on your wallet ID. And the reason it's called a blockchain is the computers write blocks to the disk. And each block then is cryptographically signed. And that's, I mean, can't go into all the cryptography stuff here, but then it's chained together. So each block is chained to the prior block. And then when they create a new block, they create what's called a hash code of all the previous blocks and they put that hash number in the next block. And that's why it forms a chain of links, basically. So that's how you can prove that there's one legitimate blockchain in the network and that nobody has tried to change it. So, again, I was talking a while ago. I said, what if one guy tries to go back and, like, change some of the past data? Well, you just really can't do that because of these cryptographic codes. What would happen if a family or a group of people would share their code and they all had access to it would there ever be legal problems like if somebody dies can you inherit your bitcoin and can you transfer it to someone else and through marriage do you have access to it stuff like that yeah that's a good question basically as i was saying you get this unique wallet id which becomes a, a private id and a public key And I was telling you before about my friend who invested and how I told him he has to protect that ID. So I even said to him, you know, basically, let's call him Jim. Uh, I said, Jim, what if uh, you put this, uh, you know, you, you, what if you make a million dollars on your Ethereum and your Bitcoin and then something happens to you? What do you want to happen to it? And he's like, well, I don't know. But I mean, I said, you need to think of these things because what if it does go up and what if you make a lot of money? You know, he needs to protect it where his wife or children or family or whatever can somehow have access. And it, it's it's not unlike having a, a life insurance policy or a bank account. Like if I were to die, I've, I've got a file somewhere that I have listed, you know, this I have money in this bank or I have this stock or I have this IRA account. And I have, uh, you know, like my accountant has access to that, maybe one of my friends or pastor, rabbi, something like that. And so, so you need to have somebody kind of trusted who can get to that information. And you were saying earlier, if people shared an account, well, it, that can be kind of dangerous because if anybody that has that code, they can basically drain the account. 
and transfer the money somewhere else. So even if it's you know your wife, uh, husband, and their son, for instance, if the son turned bad, he could he could drain all the money out and go to Europe or something, right? So they do have something, by the way, called a multi-sig accounts, which means you can have a an account that requires two or more signatures. So before you transfer money out of it. Two parties would have to like go onto a website or something, and they would both have to prove it with their with their special codes. So there's ways around all that, and there there are actually other special coins out there, other cryptocurrencies. Um, I think well, Ripple's one. There's Litecoin. There's so many of them. I think Ripple is the one. No, Dash. I mean, I forget which one which. But there's one of them that actually spe- specializes in in higher level security and anonymity. Well, let's say that that I have a thousand dollars worth of Bitcoin, and my wife is in Boston, and she needs the money now. Can I transfer the money to a bank so she can go to the ATM and and pull the money, or is she would have to go to a Bitcoin ATM like you were saying? Okay, there's basically three ways to get money in and out of Bitcoin. So ATM was one. They're actually local dealers too. There's a website you can go to and just look for like local Bitcoin dealers. And of course, you kind of have to trust them. You don't know, you know, they'll show up and meet you at a Starbucks or something like that. But they're like kind of like money lenders. They'll, they'll take a little percentage, but you know, everybody will take a little percentage, right? And then there's another thing that I, I like to call on ramps, off ramps. So I use a system called Coinbase.com, and the other big one is Coin Mama, and I'm sure there's others. It's just once you've got one, you're happy with. You don't. You usually don't have more than one, and that's a um, a company that has some kind of approval. And I think they actually have a license to to run their business. There there are things in the banks called a KYC, Know Your Customer, and Know Your Customer means that like you have to show them your driver's license or maybe a second ID or a utility bill to prove you live where you live, that kind of thing. So usually they require two forms of ID, and then you can give them your bank account, and they can actually transfer Bitcoins then in and out of your bank account. With Coinbase right now, I bought some the other day, and it took when I, the day I bought the Bitcoin, it locked in the price of that day. But for whatever reason, they don't actually show it into your account, and I couldn't sell it for I think it was eight or ten days, and I don't know why they have such a long delay. And then when you sell it on Coinbase, you get it in two days. So if you're willing to wait that long, if you had a family emergency, you might have to go to one of these ATMs or to uh, a local dealer, and then your exchange rate would probably be a little higher because they're going to make their little cut. So you mentioned mining. How does that work? Okay. Um, I looked into that myself a while back, and, and in my opinion right now, it wasn't worth it for me to try to mine. But mining started out kind of easy, and then it as Bitcoin went along, it gets it gets every year, it gets progressively harder. And they did that on purpose. They want Bitcoin to be kind of like gold where there's not an unlimited supply. They've actually gotten into the algorithm that there will never be more than X number of Bitcoins. I can't remember what the exact number is. And so each year, there's like half the Bitcoins are produced this year than last year. And next year, I think half again. So that kind of ensures that, that Bitcoin will remain somewhat rare. There, These people who run the Bitcoin networks they call them miners, and they basically get rewarded Bitcoins when they create a block. And so all day long, they run these cryptographic routines that are very computer intensive. And in the old days, you could run them on like a regular computer, but then it got more competitive and you, you had to have uh, what's called a GPU, a graphic processor unit on your computer. And then it got more competitive. And then these companies sp- started making something called ASICs, Application Specific Integrated Chips. And so the guys that are really into mining, they'll go buy one of these ASIC chips or a whole sets of them, and they'll r- build special computers they call rigs. And 
they run these programs all day long trying to find the, these calculations of numbers that will generate the next block on the blockchain. And when they do, they get one Bitcoin for that. And so, again, right now, that's worth like four or $5,000. So it may take you three months before you're able to generate one or maybe even one a year right now. The question then, it's a game as to whether if you make one Bitcoin a year, how much did you pay for your computers and your electricity? Because these computers use a lot of, uh, they generate a lot of heat, and then you typically have to have air conditioning to cool the computer down. So you have two factors of electricity, one to run the computer and one to keep the computer from overheating. So you said that one Bitcoin is $5,000. So if I have $100, how much of a Bitcoin do I get? Do I get a, a percentage of a Bitcoin? Yeah, this is it's... It, actually, the numbers are any fraction. You can have a point oh 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 one of a Bitcoin if you want. Um, so right now, 50 divided by 5, actually, I think it was 4,000 yesterday. So whatever that is, $50 divided by 4,000, you'd have like point oh 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 two or whatever it is, point oh oh two or I'm not, I'd have to get the calculator out. So that's, so market cap is what you're saying that um, there's only a limited amount of Bitcoin? Yes, they're still making new ones, but each year they're making fewer, and one day there's going to be no more. And that's just the way Bitcoin works. Now, other coins may have totally different rules. Each each coin can have its own rules of the game. So like some of these investment companies, they'll say, okay, we're going to make 20,000 coins or 20 million coins or whatever. And some of them will just create them all up front, and the company itself will own them, but they're kind of worthless at that time. And then only as people start buying them do they start to, to actually have some real value. And what about smart contracts? How does that relate to Bitcoin? Okay, that's a whole cool topic that, that I've gotten into a little bit the last year. The biggest company right now is Ethereum. They're number two on the market cap. It's actually run by this really young guy. He's like 22 or 23 years old, uh, named Vitaly Buterin. I think he's a Russian background, but he lives in Canada. And he's like this genius kid, and uh, he, he basically created Ethereum with some other, you know, smart people. And what it does, what are smart contracts? They're basically agreements, like a legal agreement that's based on computer software. And so, let, let me give you one example. There's another company coming out. Uh, what's it's already they're raising their money right now to to do their software. It's called EOS, and some people say it's going to be the Ethereum killer, but. You know, we'll see if it is or not. And EOS is selling their coins, which also, by the way, they're called tokens. So that's the word we use a lot is tokens. So EOS is selling its tokens on Ethereum. So they wrote a smart contract on Ethereum. And what they're doing is they're selling something like, I can't remember if it's a, a million tokens a day or something like that. And so it's every day there's an auction. And it's, it's for 23 hours instead of 24 hours. And that way, as the, as the clock moves around the world, that way the end of the day will be different, right? So if, if today the 23rd hour is 8 p.m. in the U.S., then tomorrow it would be like 7 p.m. for me. The next night it would be 6 p.m. So it gives people in the other part of the world a chance to, to get in on that last minute. And people bid into the smart contract. And so, like, if you put in $1,000 and I put in $2,000 and we were the only two that put in... Well, at the end of the day, it says, okay, David put one, Neil put two, and so out of those million um, EOS tokens, we're going to give one-third of them to David and two-thirds to Neil. So that's an example of a smart contract. They're, they're basically like derivatives and financial contracts. But I still don't know the difference between Ethereum and Bitcoin. Like, why pick one over the other? Well, first of all, Bitcoin was the first one. And so it's got more the name and the reputation. And I think it's going to be used more of the uh, kind of like an entry, uh, 
what do they used to call them, a drug? Uh, what's it called when you get a first drug before you go to a higher drug? It's called, um, the word is gateway. The gateway drug, yeah. So Bitcoin is like the gateway drug. Like right now with the on-ramp uh, coin base I was telling you about, you can buy Bitcoin, Ethereum, and Litecoin. That's the only three they support. And if you want to buy these other coins, you have to go to exchanges, which are kind of like stock exchanges, but they all run online. So but back to your question, um, Ethereum versus Bitcoin. So Ethereum is number two on the market cap. And some people say it's going to take over. They call that the flippening, by the way. When it takes over Bitcoin, that's that's the flippening, which is a cute little word they came up with. Ethereum was made to run smart contracts, and it wasn't really made to be a coin per se. But to run your smart contracts, you have to have Ethereum. So Ethereum takes a little bit of juice to run, and they call that gas. Each time you run your smart contract, you have to put in a little bit of Ethereum or gas into it to make it go. And that's how they pay their miners or the people who are running their computers on their network. In the document you sent me, you mentioned um, the nonprofit corporation Bitcoin Foundation. Why have a nonprofit if it's Bitcoin is supposed to be a money-making endeavor? Well, whoever said Bitcoin is supposed to be a money-making endeavor? <laughs> people are making money on it. You know, we don't know why it was created. Like I said, we don't even know who created it, technically. So it's hard to say the purpose of Bitcoin is to make money. I mean, you know, for years, people on Earth have traded things from salt to gold to greenbacks, right? And Bitcoin may be the money of the future, or it might be another one that gets created tomorrow. We don't, we don't know what's going to be the next hot one, right? So that's where the investment speculation idea comes in, that, that people are trusting that one, they're speculating, basically, that one will be better than the other. So when I lived in an intentional community, one of the members was worried about financial collapse, and he wanted to create a form of cryptocurrency or alternative currency that people could uh, rely on if there was no more money. But uh, his was a local grassroots version of, uh, I guess, trading or bargaining. Is there an element of that? Because it just still seems very finance-oriented. Like, it doesn't seem that it is something that people with low income can have access to or that if there was a, a shutdown of, of government or what if you're in a, in a regime like, like North Korea where you don't even have access to the internet, can you still somehow benefit from this? Uh, I would say internet access is required. So I guess the North Koreans are, are out of the picture on that. You know, there was a, a town in New York, and I don't remember the name of it right now, where they actually created their own barter system, and they had their own kind of like a currency. I don't know if it was on paper or just digital. I don't know how. I don't remember how they did it, but I remember reading about that in the book. And I, I'm watching my accountant who's been in a barter club for like 20 years. I remember years ago, he would do accounting for people, and then he would get barter dollars, which he could spend at other stores who promoted this barter system. So that's been an interesting concept for a long time. And then, of course, it was probably run on computers. But back then, it was a central database, and you relied on the company that, that ran the barter system to be the trustworthy company because they could go in and change those little numbers on anybody's account, and nobody would know the difference, right? You know, assuming the Internet's around, I think the Bitcoins and Ethereums, those type of things will do well. I mean, you know, there's always been people putting silver or copper coins in, under their bed and stuff like that for a rainy day. And I'm not saying that's not a bad idea either, you know. In our prior conversations, you, you mentioned uh, investing in different projects. And in, we didn't talk about your YouTube channel and, and the, pro the other businesses that you have. But out of all the things that you have invested in, put your energy in, 
Is this one of the most promising ones or is it still shaky and, and it's going to take a while to see any results? No, I'd say this has been my best investment in years. Um, you know, again, you heard of people 20 years ago said, if I would have bought Microsoft when it started. Well, I didn't buy Microsoft when it started, but I bought Bitcoin two years after it started. And last year, I, actually, I was off from work. I'm a computer contractor, too, so I, I do like six, eight-month, one-year contracts. So earlier this year, I was off for two months, and I actually sold some of my Bitcoins that had gone up like 10, 20 times. And that helped me, you know, get through those couple of months. So it's nice when you put $250 in something and you can sell it for like $3,000. And that, that, of course, that's not guaranteed to happen next year. But there, there's a guy I was listening to the other day. He, he was predicting that Bitcoin would be like 13800 by February next year. So that means October, November, December, January, February. So like he's saying in five or six months, it's going to go up two and a half times again. Now, I'm actually looking for stock, not stocks, but coins that will go up like 100 times or 1,000 times. I mean, it's nice yeah, if it doubles or triples, but many of these new ones, if you, if you buy in some of the more riskier ones, let's say, lots of times those coins or tokens sell for 10, 20, 30 cents. And if a, if a token goes from 30 cents to 30 or 300, you make tons of money when you sell it. Well, last question. Um, is there any worries, like, you know, there was that, um, that bubble with the, um, what was it, uh, in LA or in, in California, everybody was investing in those, um, the Silicon Valley. Oh, dot com bubble or whatever. Is that what, what you meant when you were talking about the, there's possibility of this being a bubble as well? Yeah. Some people say it's a bubble. Um, but again, when I say, uh, only what 3% of the people you even heard about it, it's probably not a bubble. You know, the famous bubble of all was the, what was called tulip mania back in Holland. And people were buying tulip bulbs and then they could turn around and sell them the next day for like double what they paid for them. So that was called tulip mania because it was just going crazy and people were buying it. And it's like tulip bulbs obviously weren't worth whatever they were, you know, physically. It's nice to have flowers, but they weren't worth whatever the you know, amount of dollars they were putting into it. You know, some of these some of these tokens have business purpose, like Ethereum runs smart contracts, whereas Bitcoin doesn't have so much as the purpose is to exchange money. And so being that it has a purpose, it's easier to use than, than banks in some cases. Uh, it's easier to transfer around the world. You know, I think I think it's something that's going to catch on. And, and people, like I said, lots of times they'll buy Bitcoin and then they'll turn around and sell it to buy these other tokens and other coins. So one guy I heard this week, uh, he said, you know, it's only a bubble, he says, when your barista tells you to go buy it. In other words, when, when 100% of the people or say 90% of the people heard it and people who aren't you know, in the industry are telling you, oh, you got to go buy Bitcoin and they bought it, that may be when it's in a bubble. Even then, it may never go down. We don't, we don't know. Thank you for being on the show. Um, we appreciate your, your expertise on this subject. Um, maybe in the future we can discuss other topics, but I um, want to let you know we appreciate um, sharing with this. And if people wanted to know more about Bitcoin or the background of Bitcoin or how to get involved, um, do you have a website where they can go to? Yeah, I actually put together a little course, and I, I call it freebitcoinminicourse.com. So it's everything spelled just, you know, pretty much like it says, free Bitcoin mini, M-I-N-I course.com. And basically on there, I picked several videos off of YouTube that, that I like. Some of them I did myself and others I've curated and I picked some of the good ones and I organized them into like seven or eight lessons. And uh, I give you all kinds of ideas on there of what people are doing with Bitcoin and, you know, a lot more depth than we could go to go into today, obviously. Well, wonderful. Thanks again for being on the show. 
Well, appreciate it, David. Talk to you soon.